Alrighty. The recording is going. I'll just say another quick prayer, um, and then we can read through the, the section and jump right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity this morning that we had to remember him, to focus ourselves on his body broken for us and his blood shed for us and all the amazing things that you've done for us through sending him and the great love that you have for us and that you have for him and Lord Jesus that you had for us as well, uh, wishing that we could be with you where you are. We thank you for making a way um, to that, making that possible for us. We thank you now for the time that we have to open up your word. And as our brother just prayed, pray that you would take me out of this message completely and pray that you would just speak through me the words that you would have us all to hear and pray that you would allow us to hide your word in our hearts and to keep it with us. And thank you for the fact that we can draw application to our lives today, Father. Pray that you would help us to, to daily bear our cross as we'll look at in this section. And again, just pray a blessing on this time ahead in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so once again, Luke chapter 14, and we're gonna be starting in verse 25 as our... Um, Brother had done the section before this, ending on the parable of the, the great banquet um, and the excuses and all those things. Everyone had a different excuse that they made for why they couldn't come to the banquet. Um, and the master said to that servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. So we're switching gears a little bit here, and we're going to talk um, about the cost of discipleship, and that starts in verse 25 as the Lord uh, addresses the crowd. So verse 25 of Luke chapter 14 in the ESV reads, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and, is, and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish." Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And that is the section that I did. I know it's a shorter section, but um, I drew a lot from that first portion. And um, we're going to run through it. And if I end early, I'll go outside and get blown away by the wind, I guess. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right, so looking at verse 25, so the Lord, the Lord is addressing the crowds that are following, and we know all throughout Luke, all throughout the Gospels, that there are just constantly people clamoring about him 
following after him, some for the right reason, some to see miracles, likely a lot of them just to see the works done, to hear the wisdom, um, but unlikely a huge percentage with a true heart desire to follow Jesus the way that he's, he's now um, uh, going, going to go into and explain. And McDonald described this as um, sometimes the, the Savior woos people to him, and then other times he winnows. And, and this is more of the winnowing. So, like, you know, when they're there and they're all thronging about him, he's, he's, the great crowds accompanied him there in verse 25, and he turns and he says to them. So keeping in mind as we read through this and go forward from here that he's addressing uh, the crowds. So knowing their hearts, he knew all of their hearts, the hearts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, the hearts of everyone in the crowd down to the youngest person, he knows what's in their hearts. And if in knowing that a large portion of them were there just to see the miracles and they were following him, not necessarily without thought to their own well-being and thought to their own life, but um, just because it was something to see. He's famous. You know, there, he, he, speaks, he speaks well. Let's check this out. There's a chance that I could be healed. It's really neat stuff to see. But is there a heart desire to follow after the Lord Jesus? Speaking directly to that. So the Lord Jesus in verse 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So that verse right there, verse 26, is probably where I spent a good portion of my study because it doesn't sound right when you read that, right? And I'm reading in the ESV, so take that with a grain of salt, and we're going to talk about salt later, so yeah, funny. Um, but if, if anyone does not hate, that word hate in the Strong's, in the Greek is, is I'm going to butcher this, but miseo, M-I-S-E-O. Um, so it does, when you look at the etymology, mean to detest, by extension, to love less, um, to hate, pursue with hatred, etc. So if you, if you look at this in other passages, though, if you look at this in, in other passages in Matthew 10, we're going to look at that a little bit later, it's worded differently. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not regarded worthy of me. Um, so that to me is what I take this to mean. And in reading through commentaries and looking more into this, um, the thought here is that to me, this does not imply that the Lord wants us to go around hating our brothers and our sisters and those in our family, father, mother, wife, children. It doesn't say brothers and sisters in Christ. This is specifically family. But if, if that was the case, that would be in direct contradiction to verses such as um, those in John 13 that, that also talk about being a disciple. John 13, 34 to 35 says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. So we were talking about the love of the Lord Jesus this morning and how excellent it is and how unlike our love it is. But we're to pattern ourselves after that and love others in the way that he loved us. And that would include not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but everyone, you know, our actual brothers and sisters, physical blood-related family and those who need a savior because we know that the Lord loved the world. He loves the world. He died for the sins of the world. 
He loves all. We know that there's verses around him wanting all to come to salvation. And we should love in that same way. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So again, I, I believe it does extend also because it says to one another there, to other believers, um, but also to the other end of the spectrum. Um, because we're going to see that here in another passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, that talks about not just loving each other, so fellow believers or family or anything else like that, but loving your enemies too, those who hate you. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ did that because we also talked about that this morning in the breaking of bread. It's one of the central themes because while we were still enemies of Christ, because of the great love that he had for us, he died for us. He sent his son, God did, to die for us on the cross while we were enemies. And patterning ourselves after that love, we're to love our enemies and we're to love the brethren and obviously everything in between, which would include our family. So I can't take these verses at the beginning of this section in Luke 14 to mean that we're actually to hate them, those individuals. And we know that there's translation throughout time, and we'll get to what I believe that actually means here in a second. But that verse in Matthew chapter 5, verses I should say, because it's, um, it's Matthew chapter 5 and 44, and it says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So again, we have a myriad verses throughout the New Testament that, that instruct us to love and not just to love those that love us back because that's the easy road, but to differentiate ourselves from the world by loving even those who hate us. And so also loving, hopefully our family members don't hate us, but loving everyone in, you know, around us, those who need the gospel, those who need the Lord Jesus, family, um, whether saved or unsaved, so taking these verses in their true context, the meaning that I believe is being shared here is that in contrast to how much you love the Lord Jesus, it may as well be as if you hate them because the love that you have for your physical family, your brothers and sisters, should be so far inferior to the love that you would have for Christ that it's almost down there on that same spectrum. Um, it's almost like, we did the, the, I did the message years ago at this point where uh, I tied a string from like, oh, taped it from there to there and just drew a tiny little dot that you probably couldn't even see from the pews. And that was our lifespan, you know, 80 years, 100 years. But the rest of it is eternity. And the idea there was like, you know, how rapidly we try to strive for all the things we can get in this life when there's all of the rest of eternity to be considered. And what a tiny little dot it is. And the point I'm trying to make is if you keep, if you keep zooming out and zooming out and zooming out, um, everything gets so small. So on the spectrum of love, the love that we have for Christ should be so high above the love that we would have for others that even though we don't hate our family and we do have a different kind of love, the Bible speaks about several different kinds of love, 
um, in comparison to the love that we would have for Christ, it's so close together to that that I believe that is what's being talked about here. In contrast, you are to despise. It's easier when we talk about the thing that's mentioned next, which is our own life at the end of verse 26. And yes, even his own life which is probably harder for us to do as human beings because self-preservation is a fleshly instinct. We want to save ourselves and make ourselves comfortable and make sure we have food, make sure we're warm, make sure we're not caught outside in, in snow squalls and all these things for ourselves first. And you actually have to fight against that to say, no, I need to do that for somebody else first other than me. But even that is just a love maybe for like my children, my love for my children, my love for my wife. Our love for the Lord Jesus should be so far above that that it's, it's far and away. It's not even in the same universe uh, that we would put him in that first spot. So in, in contrast, I think it's how it's meant. So in contrast, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, again, in that sense, his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There were some verses that we read previously in Luke too about the one that would put his hand to the plow but look back. The one that would start down that road but then say, oh, you know what? I, I have to go say goodbye to so-and-so. And I think when that was covered, it wasn't even like just a quick thing and then I'll come right back. It was like, I'm gonna be there for a while. I'm gonna put that first before actually just leaving that all behind and following after the Lord. And so the, the, the same thoughts are here. And, and again, even a person's own life is included here in the list. And I think there's so much wrapped up in that. It's not just your physical, you're alive or you're dead. And to me, the binary of, of being alive, it's all of the trappings that come with our lives. So again, I don't think that the instruction here is to hate and despise the life that God has given us on this earth, the privilege of life that God has given us on this earth, to be alive and to live for him and to serve him. The opportunity he's placed us in um, uh, while we're here on this earth. But again, all of these things being in contrast to how much we would love him, we should not value our own lives anywhere in that same arena, anywhere um, close to that same amount on that spectrum. The love that we have for these other things and that's difficult, right? Because our flesh is so strong. I do love my kids. I would die for my kids. I would die for my wife. I mean, I can say that now, and then you try to think of a circumstance which we don't like to think about because it's morbid and it's not warm and fuzzy and the fun things to think about in life. But I'm pretty convinced that if the time came and I had to, I would do it. I shouldn't even have to consider, would I really do that for Christ? I think we talked about this was probably over a year ago at this point, but there were some shootings that happened out, I think in the Midwest, don't quote me on that. My geography is horrible. My sense of time are horrible. Um, but I know that it happened. There was a story where a shooter went to a college campus and he went to eat in Washington. And he, yeah, he went to each person and he held a gun to their head and he asked them about their faith. And if they said they loved the Lord, they died. He just killed them. And there were people, sorry, there were people there that, that did it. They died. They said, I love the Lord. They despised their own life in that instant, knowing what it would mean. And you can't tell me that that testimony 
isn't more powerful than me just standing up here and saying like, you know, this is what I learned from this part of the scriptures. It's so much more powerful because it's visible that they were throwing away life and all that comes with it and all of the desires and all of the comforts and all of the 80 years or however long the average is now that you would have on this earth for him because they loved him more than that. So again, not the easy things to talk about, not the easy things to consider, not the things that we want to focus on, not the things that the world would want to focus on because they're difficult, because they're, they're, they represent the end of what the world clings to, the end of life here, which is the entire focus of those who don't know the Lord and love the Lord. Life is what they live for, their job, their career, the money that they can save up for their children, which isn't a bad thing by itself. But if that's your only focus and that's your goal, then you don't want that to be cut short. You would say anything you could say to make sure that that's not cut short. But I can't necessarily say, because we constantly wrestle with the flesh that we currently inhabit, that I would do that for the Lord Jesus. I should be able to, and we press on towards that goal, and we attempt as best we can to emulate Christ. But look at Peter. Peter didn't say, do whatever you want to me, kill me. I love the Lord Jesus. He said, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who that is. Three times. And he was rocked when the reality of that situation came back around to him when the rooster crowed and the words that the Lord Jesus Christ said to him came back into his mind. But as much as it is within us to do so, we fight against the flesh and we war against the flesh and we strive to do what it says in that next verse, to bear our cross every single day, to daily bear our cross. Here it doesn't reference the daily, but I'll read that passage here in a moment. So as we think about that verse 26 there, despising in comparison, in contrast to the love that we would have for the Lord, our family, and yes, our, our spouse, our parents, everything physical about this life that our flesh, the love there, which again is not a bad thing, would have us to say, no, that's gotta be the most important thing. It feels so strong, but it's not. The love for the Lord Jesus should be so much higher. Matthew 10, 37 to 39 says it more in line with that thought. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So again, that, in that verse or in that section, finding his life, finding one's life, really chasing after life on earth, the world, um, the trappings of life will lose it because what you're effectively doing is you are putting that life in the first place instead of, of God. You're chasing after that to try to find it, try to find the meaning of life. So many people wrestle with that because they've already chosen to shut their minds off to the existence of God because they don't want to deal with what that means on the back end. That does mean that I have to give my life over in service to him. That does mean that I have to give up these things because I read in his word that they are sin and I shouldn't be doing those. I don't want to do that. My flesh doesn't want me to do that. 
So if that's not the case and I've already excluded that in my mind, what's left? Life. How did we come about? That's where you have people coming up with all these crazy theories of the Big Bang and like, wow, that's a really, really slim chance. So how can we justify that? Uh, well, what if it happened like trillions of times and one of those times it could have been, oh, multiverse, cool, yeah. We'll just say it happened like billions of times all over the place and multiple universes and ours just happened to be the one that, well, yeah, that, that makes sense, cool. So it's justification because they've already shut themselves off to the possibility of a savior because they don't want to deal with what that means for them and turn their lives over to him. So chasing after life, you will lose it in that endeavor. And even for us, as far as an application today, there are opportunities that we can have, even though we've already given ourselves to Christ. Those of you who have given yourself to Christ and he's, he's hidden in your heart and you're written into the book of life and you're in his hand and nothing can take you out of that, there are still opportunities, unfortunately, for Satan to come in and say, you need to focus on life. You could be over here living for Christ and doing this. And we're going to talk about what bearing the cross here in a minute truly means. It's not, it's not just the, the going through the motions. It's a lot more than that. Uh, and it's heavy and it's real. But Satan would have us say, but like, just, just relax. Like you've got so much time to do that. Just come over here and do this for today and forget about that and do these things that while they are not sinful or bad on the surface, some of them may be, um, they take us away from living for Christ. And... If we chase after that, chasing after that life, we will lose out on opportunities to live for him because every day is another opportunity to live for Christ. So even though, yes, we are written into the book of life, we can never be pulled out of that and, and taken out of his hand. We could still lose that battle daily and miss out on an opportunity to witness for the Lord or miss out on an opportunity to spend more time with him and have a, a deeper relationship with him and that will, be, that will be a loss for that day. But again, even though it's not written in this passage, it's written in another passage, which we'll read about bearing the cross daily. Every day, it's a struggle. Every day, you have to try again and pick that back up and walk with that cross beam. And that's why I love Sundays. Because Sundays are an opportunity for me when I'm not alone, when Satan can't draw me off to the side by myself with no other fellowship and no other... Christian uh, support group, so to speak, and say, just do this over here by yourself and, and work on people individually. Um, I'm of the opinion that Satan likes to fragment. He wants to, he wants to get you aside and get you alone and get you by yourself. There's divisions in marriage. There's divisions in family. There's divisions in the church to fragment you down and make you weaker because together we can build one another up and encourage one another uh, in, in the fellowship. But when we're alone, he can, he can work on us and get us to say, well, just for this day, just do this instead. And that's a missed opportunity. So again, even though we're not being written out of the book of life because that can't happen, it's a missed opportunity. So the exhortation for us therein being that we need to do these things all the time to strive for him every new day, pick that cross back up and bear it for him. And in doing so, what we're effectively doing is we're taking our life and the trappings of life and we're putting that on the priority scale way down where it needs to be, not way up in the top spot where Christ needs to be. So whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it.
So again, not necessarily just talking about that powerful testimony we talked about where someone would actually be martyred for the Lord Jesus, which is a testimony that the world probably can't understand. I don't know if they stop to think about it for as heavy a thing as it is, but if you did, you'd realize that when somebody actually dies for something, they are very convicted of that thing. They believe in that thing so much so that they would lose the rest of this life and give that up for that thing. So verse 27, thinking of bearing the cross, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So patterning ourselves after the Lord Jesus. But what does it mean to bear your own cross? It means that we need to deny and die to ourselves and live for him as we think about hating our life or or despising our life in contrast to how much we love the Lord Jesus. It's an extremely sobering reminder for me, for sure, because I'll tell you right now, there are many days where I need a ton of work in this area. Um, I do much that categorizes as living for myself every day, even outside of the spiritual arena. But especially when viewed through a, a spiritual lens, I despise how many times I give in to the temptation to do things that are either sinful or to do things that just take me away from him and aren't me actively living for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a verse, uh, I always say that, a bunch of verses, um, a, a, a passage or a section in Hebrews 11, 24, that talks about faith. Hebrews 11 goes a lot into uh, faith. But this section jumped out to me as uh, I was drawn to it and reminded of it specifically, though, because of, in addition to being that picture of faith, Hebrews eleven twenty four to 26 reads, By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And you read that and you'd say, well, like, He lost the reward. He missed out on the treasures of Egypt. It says it right there, but it's not that reward. And we all know that here. This would probably be somebody who's young in the faith or doesn't know the scriptures who wouldn't understand that. But what reward? Pushing on to the higher calling, the reward, the treasures that are stored up and laid up for him in heaven, in the kingdom. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin And then written again, he considered the reproach of Christ. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That's that's an interesting one to read into in your own study. Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. But here it is written in Hebrews, and there's various other accounts in that chapter, and that section of faith, that that testimony is so powerful that it's recounted later, that display of faith, but also that testimony of you could have been one of the most powerful people in the country, had whatever you wanted, had servants for days, wealth, you know, treasures. You you didn't have to lift a finger or do anything, but chose instead to be mistreated with the people of God, not for the people of God themselves, but for God himself, because he decided to align himself with God and put God in that top spot in his life and 
denied himself the treasures and the, the pleasures and the, 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 the incredible ease of that lifestyle of being um, the son of Pharaoh's daughter and being part of that, that, uh, that household. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And so that's the reminder for us this morning to consider the reproach of Christ, consider a life for Christ greater wealth than the treasures that this world has to offer. And you can, there's tons of them. You can, you can define them and find them everywhere. The, 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 the comfort and the ease of, um, of, of just sitting down to, to watch TV, the comfort and the ease of, of not putting yourself out there as, as a follower and a lover of Christ, but saying like, I'm just gonna stay quiet because I don't wanna speak up in the workplace and have people know that I'm a Christian and then it gets awkward and like, the, you know, because a lot of these people I know probably aren't and I don't wanna go against the flow. So I'll just take the easy road. That's the ease, but that's not bearing the cross. So when, when you think about bearing the cross and we'll touch on this in a minute here, but um, in my study, I found that it was unlikely that someone was to carry their whole cross. I don't, uh, it was so heavy that it was unlikely that they would have even been able to do that. Even just the cross beam, the arm bar, as they called it, that you would actually have your arms or your wrists nailed through and to, um, was, was super heavy. And, and some people say that that's what was carried. I don't know. I just did a little bit of cursory study on it. Um, but either way, it's not easy. Not easy mentally, carrying the thing that you know you're about to be nailed to and, and die on in front of everybody and that shame. Now you're being paraded in front of them carrying that same tool all the way to the place that you're gonna be crucified. So this is, this is not an, an easy thing. And so as we think about denying some of those things that our flesh would be like, yeah, but that would be so easy for me to just do. I'm just gonna stay quiet and blend in. It's, it's not the easy road that we're taking. We talked about the narrow road earlier. The narrow road is the one that you have to go through, that you have to force yourself through. That's not the wide and the easy road that's, that's paved with the pleasures of life. So this stuff is, is, it is difficult. Um, but I believe that this is one of the tools that Satan uses to render Christians, disciples, those who love the Lord, say it however you want, ineffective for Christ. Because again, we're always in his hand, but are we always 100% effective for the Lord Jesus Christ every day and every moment? Definitely not, definitely not. God is able to make it so, but we are told to take up our cross daily. And that one is back in Luke. We, we already read this in Luke because we've been studying through um, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But in Luke chapter nine, verses 22, uh, 23 to 25, excuse me, say, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, there's the daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the entire world or the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And that's a very well-known verse as well. I think in other translations or even in other colloquialisms, you guys know it as, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? So again, thinking about that line stretched across and a tiny little dot, if you gain everything you could possibly gain, and the Lord on purpose takes it to such a greater extent than you could ever imagine, 
Like, okay, let's say I know you really want all that money and I know you want that inheritance and I know you want that, that VP position or you want this great job or you want whatever, this, this education. Let's just go like put that on steroids and say, I just give you the whole world, everything in it, anything you want, every, all the money, all the power, all the wealth, the fame, the people, the health, everything you want. Is that worth your eternal soul? I mean, those of us who know that eternity exists and aren't denying that, just like the people I spoke about earlier would deny the existence of God itself, himself, we know that that eternity, like you can just look at that even logically and say, no, it's not worth it. Because <laughs> we know we're not gonna get to take that stuff with us. So it's like, wow, cool, I got all that. Yeah, if you got it for you know a handful of years. Because again, when you boil this stuff down, just like that scale of love would put the love of the Lord Jesus Christ so much higher and you start to continue to expand out eternity because it doesn't end and you continue to zoom away from our life, our tiny little life, it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So it is like that, that puff or that wisp of a candle that, that is, is lit and then it goes out and that's all we have. And it's like, great, you gained everything in the entire world but what's left after that? Your eternal soul is now in torment because you chose not to despise those things in light of the Lord Jesus Christ, but you instead put them in that top spot and you went after those. And you got them, but that doesn't matter because it's not what it's all about. So daily, we have to take up the cross. And again, I read about... Um, the carrying of the cross. And some say that it was standard practice for criminals of the time, and I would believe that, to carry the cross, because Christ hasn't, at this time, he hadn't died yet on the cross. So this was still before the Lord Jesus Christ died. And you might be saying, well, why are you even mentioning that? Well, a lot of what I was searching was just historical analysis, so I was using Google and other things. And it did say that, you know, when you hear, oh, that's my cross to bear, that's a common saying, a lot of the answers that I found online were like, oh, that came from Jesus carrying the cross. And it's not like Jesus carrying the cross was the first time that a criminal or, or someone that someone's gonna be crucified had, had to ever carry their cross because here Jesus is saying it to these multitudes. And some could say, well, he knew he was gonna have to do it because he has foresight. He would have known that he would have had to do it. But would he have used that language for them? They would have had no idea what he's talking about. He was speaking in terms that, when you say bear your cross, they know that, that, that what that means, that criminals were, had to drag the, the, whether it was just the cross member or the entirety of it, or we know that, that uh, the Lord Jesus had help um, in doing it because it was such a physically destructive task to drag this thing all the way to where you had to go and being mocked and ridiculed. So again, mentally destructive as well. The punishment of the cross started long before any nails were driven in because of all of the, the shame and, and the, the scourging and the beatings and then dragging that cross and being mocked the whole way to the hill. It was like this whole process of shame um, that, that one had to go through. Um, but, but bearing that cross is a, is a difficult, difficult thing. And I feel that this is a battle that we wage each and every day in our fight against sin and temptation, our war with the flesh. So the flesh would like us to see uh, us indulge in life and all that it has to offer and put those things before serving Christ. But we need to do the opposite and live for him. So as we think about the Lord Jesus Christ willingly carrying that cross, willingly carrying that cross member towards what he knew what was gonna come. 
And he knew what was going to come in terms of the physical death that he was to die, which, as I'm explaining, sounds absolutely horrible, like one of the worst forms of capital punishment that you could even imagine, not just because of the pain of actually once you're at the cross and you're nailed to it, but all of this leading up to it was set up in such a way that it was just this parade of shame and humiliation all the way through from the beginning, and especially probably done so for the Lord Jesus because the leaders of the time wanted to show that he was just a man and that we've beaten him and look how much we've humiliated him and, 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 and thrown him down from where he said he was at, the son of God, making himself equal to God. Look at him now. There's no way he can be because he wouldn't be carrying this cross. And I underlined or made in capitalization on my notes the word willingly because we need to willingly carry our cross. It's an active daily willing act to say, I'm going to do this thing that is harder and, 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 and far above and beyond more difficult for the Lord Jesus instead of this easy thing that my flesh really wants me to do right now. Um, willingly making that choice because Christ willingly carried that cross to that place of shame to die for us. And again, those who may not be um, believers or saved may look at that and be like, well, no, he had to. It was part of the punishment. He had to carry it. The Lord Jesus didn't have to do any of that because he could have vaporized the earth if he wanted to. He could have just said, no, 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 I'm done with all of this. But because of the love, and you could say like, well, he had to because of the love he had for us and because he's a holy God. I would say that God does what God wants to do. But he does love us, and his love is far and above and beyond, as we thought this morning, what, what our love is like. So he willingly, just because we know that the power that the Lord Jesus had, that he willingly laid aside so that he could come down as a man for us, it was willing that he took that cross. He willingly died for us. And there's plenty of verses that, that tell us that he did that willingly and that he laid aside that power for us because he could have just said, I'm done, enough is enough, or not even entered into it to begin with. Um, the, the folly and the sadness of man thinking that they were winning in that effort and saying, you know what, let's use crucifixion because of what a, what a public and shameful and humiliating punishment that is, we got him, we won. And realizing that though every step with that cross on his shoulders, every step, he was putting aside that power that could have just erased everything and everyone because he was doing it out of that amazing, indescribable love that we thought about this morning for us, for the very people who were right there ridiculing and shaming him as he walked by. So thinking about taking up the cross, that's, that's why I didn't get very far in this study is because there's so much to unpack here just from that one phrase of taking up the cross and, and bearing your own cross daily. And it says, the one that does not bear his own cross and come after me, so as you think about patterning your life after the Lord Jesus, cannot be my disciple. Now, this was sobering for me because I don't, like I said, I try, but I fail all the time. And, and God's grace overrules in those times where we fail because we're not going to be perfect. But I think that as long as the, 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 the thought is that the effort is there, you are trying. If you do drop it and Satan wins and he gets you to do something that's not living for Christ, you pick it back up 
and you keep walking. And you know, as a believer, when that happens, and this I think is part as one of the marks, is that you, you feel that. You feel that I, sh- I should have done this. You feel the pain. The world would not feel that. They'd be like, yeah, part for the course and continue on. They probably wouldn't even think that because it's just part of life and they would indulge in those things. But when we fall and we falter and we, we drop that, we pick it back up and we continue on. We, we pattern ourselves after him who ran that race with perseverance, who was tempted like we are. And he can show us the way to do it the right way because he didn't falter and he didn't stumble. He didn't have to drop it and pick it back up. This is all metaphorical, obviously, but he ran that race with perfect faithfulness to his father. And we can pattern ourselves off after that. Not letting Satan come in and say, yep, you failed. See, it's only, it's only if you can do it all the time that it works. If you failed, you're done. You're spoiled goods. He doesn't want you anymore. Satan would love for us to believe that. But no, we know that we're going to fail because we're not him. We're not perfect. We inhabit fleshly bodies still. We fail. And then for him, because of the love that he had for us and what he's done for us, we pick it back up and we continue to fight for him and fight that good fight and bear our cross daily every single day, a fresh opportunity to live for him and to serve him as one who follows him. So as we look at the next verses there, um, I kind of grouped all these verses together and I don't want to go too, too far over time, but these verses are just interesting and in reminding those that are listening that they need to soberly consider the cost of following Christ. If I parallel or I'm sorry, um, paraphrase what the Lord is saying to them, like you're all following me, but you're not all following me the way that a true disciple or follower of Christ would follow me. And if you want to do that, you need to carefully consider the cost because what you don't want to happen is that you start down that road and then you fail. And I believe that's what the verses after this mean because it talks about these different situations or parables or, or ideas, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. Just plain logic. Which of you that was, would start a business would not first down and consider the financial implications on, on your household and, and on your future? Which of you desiring to, to go out to war as a king with another army wouldn't first lay up a battle plan and consider, can I actually do this? Can I actually take on that army with my army? And there's a very interesting um, thread. Did it come back around? Like circled back around and found us again? That's like. Oh, we did? Yeah. Oh, man. Second squall. So this is going to go into the recording and, and be canon right. forever. But um, as we think about both of these examples, the tower and the war, the kings at war that's mentioned here, there's a big theme in both of these of shame. Because as you look at the tower one in verse 29, otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So think about that shame. And it's not as apparent, and you can take this with a grain of salt, because I just looked in and, and studied this, and this is my thought or my take on this next one. What king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, so if the king didn't do that, and he just ah, we're just going to do it live. Let's just go out and try it. While the other army is yet a great way off and he sees and realizes, oh, this is not going to work out really well for my guys and me, he sends a delegation and asks for peace. How's that going to look to your advisors 
when you just went out and you said, we're going to just do this. And now you're backing down as the leader of that nation, as the king. And you're saying, no, 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 let's, let's, let's do this peacefully. Let's, I went out in war and everyone was arrayed against my enemy with me. And then at the last moment, because I didn't plan, I had to back off. Does that make a strong leader or a weak looking leader? I think it's the latter. So I think the shame element is still there. It's not spelled out like it is in the tower example. But if, if you have to then ask for terms of peace, because it started out, it says you went out in war. You went out in war against another king. But now here you are asking for terms of peace. So there's that element of shame there as well, that you weren't able to carry out or fulfill what it was that you set out to do. And now you're backing down. And to those who would know that, those in the inner circle, or even probably the men under the command, under the command, under the command of all the way down, the leaders of your armies would say, we were going out arrayed in war and now here we are. And it, they're not blind to the fact that like we're arrayed against a much larger force and now we're, we're, we're gonna do a, a, a peace talk. So the shame, the shame is there. And I firmly believe that that's why these examples are in here and also why the salt is talked about here in a little bit. So the Lord Jesus capstones off that section by saying in verse 33, so therefore any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And I think it's that way chronologically. If you don't renounce all that you have now and you kind of keep some of that back and saying, I'm gonna really treasure and love this thing, then if you start going to try to be the Lord's disciple and that comes back into play and that's in the top spot, you're gonna falter and the Lord knows that. Unless you give that all up already and have the mindset to follow after God and make all of that secondary or tertiary or even further down that spectrum of love, then you're gonna fail and you're gonna falter. So unless you do that, and that's why you need to carefully consider and take care of that in your mind first, then you're not going to, to be able to be a disciple. It says he cannot be my disciple. And again, truly a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Um, and it talks about salt in that next section. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When I was reading in McDonald's commentary, it talked about the fact that salt these days is pure. Um, it doesn't lose its saltiness. And I was like, okay, I mean, that's interesting. But I think that the, it doesn't matter if salt today versus salt back in that day. Like if salt, regardless of what time you're talking about, stops being salty, what is it good for? It's not gonna, it's not gonna season your food anymore. It's just gonna be a tasteless powder that doesn't do anything. And it's not gonna, you know, the properties of salt that would, that would make it good to season food, to melt ice, to act as a fertilizer, whatever they would use it for, all those properties are gone now. And it's just a powder. So it's not good for anything. You just throw it out and you trample it underfoot. McDonald's said that salt back in these times was mixed and it was a bunch of different minerals that they would use. And if that lost its saltiness, it wasn't good for anything. So, I mean, it was interesting to read and I'm just sharing it for your own study. Um, but I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't take this to be time specific. If salt stops being salty, salt is good for a, a very few specific things. And if it loses that use case, it's, it's useless. It's just a powder. What would you do with it? Nothing. You would trample it underfoot. Now, note here that it doesn't say that God would throw it out and trample it underfoot because, again, God is not going to look at us if we fall, falter for him and if we stop being salty for a while and say, like, okay, you're done, you know, to hell with you. Like, 
I don't mean that to say that that way, but you're going to hell. I like to write you out of the, um, the book of life and, 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 and all those things. God does not trample that underfoot, but man will trample that underfoot. So again, think about that testimony. So if you're living for Christ and you're going out for him as a disciple and a follower of him publicly seen by all, and you are that salt and that light in the world, but then all of a sudden you make the decision to put something else before Christ and it's still very public and now people can see that you've lost your saltiness. And I think, again, that's the saltiness isn't just for you to detect. The saltiness is that others no longer see that in you. That light and that salt that is to go out into the world is lost. It's lost its saltiness. So how is that testimony as somebody who reflects the Lord Jesus Christ has lost that saltiness? Um, it is not good for anything anymore in that instance or in that circumstance. Again, I don't take that to mean that we just get denounced by the Lord, but by man, yes, for sure. Because they would say, ah, see, you were, you know, you've heard plenty of stories probably about people who were publicly on fire for the Lord Jesus, but in one choice they made, they decided to love something more than him for that moment. And it could have been a really big thing, a really big public thing. And if it was, then that testimony is tarnished because the world will look at that and they'll say, yep, just like us, I knew it. And they were there on their soapbox saying, oh, you know, all this and that. Um, and even though that's not true, and those of us who love the Lord would say that that's not our message. We don't go out saying, I'm better than you. I'm up here. You need to stop doing that because I've never done that and I never will. Because if we truly know ourselves, we know we're capable of all of those same things. Um, but the world doesn't see it that way. They're not spiritually mature to the point to realize that that is the true message. And they'll just say, Yep, I knew it. None of that's real. So, and then it's disregarded and then that testimony is tarnished. So if that salt loses its taste because you didn't soberly consider what you need to do in following after the Lord, truly following after the Lord as a disciple and put all of those things in life as secondary, tertiary or way down the line and love him where he needs to be loved, again, even above and beyond family, spouse, loved ones, um, it's a very sobering reminder to make sure that the love for him is first. So as we go forward from here, we can pray that the Lord would give us the grace to daily bear our cross for him, to live for him in all that we do. Um, and let's just pray now to that end as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. And we pray, Father, for the grace and the strength to live for you, to bear our cross every single day, to wake up and realize that we have a fresh opportunity to bear our cross for you, to live for you, to renounce the things and the pleasures of this world that would sometimes seek to crowd out the top spot in our lives, to take the place as that which we love the most, even if it's only temporary in that circumstance. We pray that we would keep you at that top spot and love you the most, far and above all else, to the point where, in contrast, it would seem almost like we despise these other things, but Father, we know that we would just put you in that top spot as we seek to love all of those around us so much so that we would want to share the good news of the gospel with them, that we would choose to shine as lights for you and not hide away and take the easy road. Father, we pray that you would give us a boldness and a strength to reach out to those around us for you and to live for you and not lose our saltiness, but to maintain as salt and light in the world. Father, we thank you again for your word. Um, we pray that you would bless the reading of it to our hearts and pray that you would bless the rest of our day. And as we gather potentially at the Mervas, that you would please keep folks safe on the road as we travel um, and pray that you would just bless our time this afternoon and uh, pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.